Remember, uh, about four weeks ago on a Wednesday night, uh, that's probably this Wednesday night will be five weeks, about four or five weeks ago, I told you I was going to preach about something called fulfilled. And we used the word out of the book of Matthew, chapter 24, of Jesus talking about those last days. Remember, those uh, disciples that were with him said, Lord, you know, uh, look at this beautiful temple and all the ornaments. Look at everything that's on there. And he said, I tell you that there will not be a stone left upon another. You know, and he told them that basically they were doing much like the Pharisees did, and they were holding on to uh, temporal things, temple things. They were holding on to those things more than they were the God of the temple. They, uh, the Israelites began to worship the house more than the God of the house. And we've got to be careful that we don't do those same things, amen, that we say, all right, Lord, we know that you're the God of the house. You're the El Bethel. You're the God of the house of God, amen. And, um, <clears throat> and we talked about that word that Jesus said. He said things would be fulfilled. Remember I told you that out of the Greek, 90 times that word, Plerao was the word fulfilled or fulfilled or fulfillment. And uh, 90 times in the New Testament it's used. And out of 90 times, there's 51 times that it's used as a word that's past tense, something that has been fulfilled, something that is not only just in the sense it's already done away with, but also there were times, there were 40 times out of those 90 times that the word was saying that Scripture would be fulfilled. Out of those 90 times that word was used, 40 of those times had the words in front of it, that scripture may be fulfilled, Jesus saith unto them. That scripture may be fulfilled, these things happen. And so uh, looking at that, God, God's fulfilling his book. Uh, that, that's what we're waiting on. When we look at our word, when we're looking at the word of God, and we, we read from Old Testament to New Testament, we can see, thank God, because we're people that live in the New Testament days, we can see that Old Testament prophecies, many of them, if not all of them, have been fulfilled. Why? Because we have the opportunity to look backwards, right? You understand what I'm saying? In the country term, we, we look backwards, all right? We, we have an opportunity to go back and, and to see how some of those things were fulfilled. But then we also know that we're waiting on certain things. The book of Revelation that teaches us were things that will be fulfilled. And uh, the Bible talks about in Matthew. You remember Matthew 21 Jesus told them when he walked into the temple area that day, he was going to go over to a fig tree and that he was going to get some fruit off of it. And uh, because the fig tree was professing that it had some fruit because it had the leaves, and Jesus went to pull the leaves up to go find some of the figs, and he didn't find any. And what did he do? He cursed the fig tree. Now listen, don't teach your little children that he cussed the fig tree. God didn't cuss. Jesus didn't cuss the fig tree. It says he cursed the fig tree. And what that means is, is that he caused the root system and caused the moisture and the water that was giving all the nutrients to that to stop. He caused it to stop flowing. And what he was doing was he was saying, you'll never be a blessing anymore. Because of your false lies of your, your, you know, your profession, your false profession of lies, and you had fruit on you, therefore you won't have any more fruit. And uh, God's in control. God's in control of that. And what he was saying is, he used that as an illustration that the nation of Israel who was what? The arms and the outreach branches of God that were the ones that were reaching out to the world to be able to bear fruit. Jesus told all of those. He told his disciples to do what? He said, bear much fruit. He said, herein is your Father glorified that you do what? That everybody sees you? No, herein is your Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Why does the Lord want us to bear fruit? The same reason that you want your plum trees and you want your peach trees and your apple trees to bear fruit. So you can go out there and pluck some off of it and get some nourishment. That's the same thing that God wants with you and I. God wants you to be a fruitful Christian. He doesn't want you to be a, a Christian that is just dried up, 
just dead. He doesn't want you to be that way. As a matter of fact, he does what all the time? He purges us. He fertilizes us. He cleanses us. He waters us with the water of life so that we can have what? He's given us the word of God. He's given us an opportunity to pray to him because we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And he tells us all of these things. Why? So that we would bear fruit. What is the fruit? Galatians chapter 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? It's not bitterness. It's not anger. It's not malice. No. But it's love and mercy and long-suffering, kindness, temperance, all of these things. Church, and we can't produce those things on our own. That's why Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You must abide in me so that you bear much fruit. Why? Because we can't produce this fruit on our own. Here's a thing that the Christians have a very hard time with today. And uh, since we didn't have special singing and all that stuff tonight, I get to go a little bit more preaching time, right? Uh, Here's the problems that we have today is that I hear this among the Christians and people that come and they talk to me and I counsel with them. They're all the time discouraged because of their walk, okay? They're all the time discouraged about I can't do anything right. And Brother Steve, I can't seem to do this, and I can't seem to do right, or I can't seem to do good, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't. And I look at them, and I tell them the best advice that I know is this. You're absolutely right. You can't. You've got to stop thinking you can, and you've got to start drawing from what? The Spirit of God, and drawing from the root system so that you can be able to produce good fruit because it is fruits of the Spirit. It ain't fruits of Steve. And it ain't fruits of heath, it is fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what we've got to do is say, Lord, you're absolutely right. I can't live this Christian life. Isn't it amazing that we have a God that gave us such a great salvation that he didn't leave us high and dry when it came to just saving us and kind of just giving us that get-out-of-hell-free card and snatching us out of the pits of miry clay. But not only that, but the Bible says he establishes our goings. In other words, he, he sets us on the rock and sets us in the right direction. God doesn't just go, okay, you just get saved and that's it, like many people in the church think today. No, God says, no, I saved you to do something. I saved you to be fruitful so that other people may be saved. Amen? Maybe that's why we should get rid of pews in the churches and, and put more chairs in there. Pew just sends a bad, bad vibe. Pew. And they stink. You know what I mean? It, it, like, like Pepe Le Pew. It just stinks sometimes because too many Christians are sitting on the benches and on the pine and they think that they're waiting to get into heaven. That's not what God's got for you. God wants you to be fruitful so that your children can come up to you and ask you about Jesus. And there they can draw from the the branch some good fruit from you so that some grandchildren can come to you and ask you questions about the Lord and about salvation so that you can have some fruit. Amen. That was all free. Let's go to the Word of God tonight. I want you to look at Romans chapter number 11 first and then we'll go over to Ephesians chapter number 1. I want you to look that the Bible says in verse number 23. Romans 11, 23. If you would, let's stand together. For the reading, the reverence of God's word. <clears throat> I, I tell you what, let's go back to verse number 18. I, I wanted to start 23. Let's go back to verse number 18. He says, boast not against the branches, but if you boast, he said, you bear not the root. I love this, but the root bears you. <laughs> Amen. Look, but the root, thee. It's the root holding you up. You're not holding the roots up. Amen. He says, thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And he said, well, you say good. He said, why? Because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. In other words, what it means is that you should reverence God and you should respect God because you stand in grace and you stand by faith. 
It says, For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity. It says, But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, look, thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. And I love this right here. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off the olive tree that is wild by nature and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you would be ignorant or should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. And look at these words. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness. Plerao. Not plerao, but it's different. This word is a little bit different than the one we talked about fulfilled. It says, till the fullness of the Gentiles are come in. This word is pleromo, and it actually means it is being fulfilled. Being fulfilled as we speak, that it is fullness of God, that it's bringing them in. You ever heard the old preacher say, when that last one receives Christ, when that last message is preached, and that last one comes to the Lord, we're all going to be raptured, we're all going to go, you know, and we thank God for the rapture of the church and, him, and God taking us out of here. But look, it says, when the fullness of the Gentiles, when God is completely finished with what we're doing now, God's going to call us home, amen? He says the fullness, pleromo, and it means as it's being fulfilled. You think about it for a moment. What if that last one is ready tonight to give their heart to the Lord? And the Lord says, son, go and get the bride. Amen. May it be a good day. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We love you. God, we ask you to be with us tonight more than anything, Lord, that your spirit would guard our minds and our mouths. God, that you would be the great director, that, Lord, you would conduct the service. And, Lord, we pray that everything that is said would be pleasing and honoring to your word. Lord, that it be truthful, holding on to the word of God and accountability of it all. God, I ask you that you just please speak to our hearts tonight. I pray, Lord, as I've been, I've been praying all this week and today especially, Lord, that people would have those aha moments in their life. I pray that there are some believers that are here tonight that know that they're saved. They believe in the blood of Jesus Christ and his cleansing of our sins, Lord, and the resurrection. And, uh, Lord, the power of the resurrection that will also gather us up someday. Lord, they believe in this and they trust in it. But I pray that today they see salvation not in a brand new light, but in a different light that they've never seen before. And what I mean by that, Lord, is I pray that they have a moment where they go, wow, wow, what an awesome salvation that we have. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things together. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, church. I'm excited. I hope that you're excited to be here tonight. Uh, you know, I got, my, I got my ficus tree with me, my illustration tonight. We're going to do some good stuff tonight. We're going to pray that the Lord would bless and be with us just to hopefully that you'll You'll bear with me in the invitation time. When the invitation time is given, that you'll give opportunity to come to. No jumping around and moving around and all that good stuff. So uh, we, we gave a break a while ago when we shook hands. Y'all should have went to the restroom and you should have went and hand sanitized after. Um, well, not the restroom, shaking hands is what I meant to say. But if you would, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter number one. I'm going to share three things with you tonight. Um, I don't do three things because I think it's the Trinity or five things of grace. It's just because these three things are what I see, what God has shown. Look in verse number one of Ephesians chapter one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I want you to look at the first thing that we're going to be talking about 
it is salvation and where it came from. Before we get into the points, let me just talk about, if, if we were to ask everyone in here tonight, you know, what is salvation? And what, what do you think that salvation is? And how do you think that salvation came to me, came to be? Um, a lot of people would always go to, well, it's always the cross, it's always the cross, it's always the cross. And why do we do that? Because at the cross is where our salvation actually was made into sight. We could see that our salvation was there. But just because we know at the cross is where salvation's penalty of sin was satisfied there, that doesn't mean that salvation only came to be this doctrine or this teaching when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible actually teaches us that God the Father had a part in this, God the Son had a part in salvation, and God the Holy Spirit had a part in salvation. And when we look at Ephesians, Paul is trying to tell this church at Ephesus that is full of these people. You remember we talked about the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, we talked about how that they were a church that was just totally indoctrinated by Roman world and Roman culture and things of sin that they had. They were a big established city because of the ports and the exports that they had. And we talked about how Ephesus had this great love for the Lord. It showed us that they had a love for the Word of God, that they wanted to get the Word of God right. Don't, that's the way I want our church to be. We want to be like the Bereans, that we get the word of God right. And when any preacher preaches, we do what? We don't try to pick them apart by what we think. Or we don't go to our Google rabbi and ask him what they thought about this preacher. We go to the word of God and see how they preach the word of God. Because the word of God is our validity. It is our, our source uh, that we need to hold on to, right? Amen. And uh, as Andrew was talking to me this week, it's not a resource. It's the only source. Amen. And so looking at this scripture, we want to be like that church at Ephesus. And you remember, they had this huge love of getting things right. They wanted the word of God right. Remember what Jesus told them? He said, I know your works. And I know how you can't stand those who have said that they are prophets and apostles and you found them out to be liars. And, and I know how you hate the Nicolaitans, you know, as I do also and all this. But what did he say? He said, listen, there's something wrong with you because their love for salvation, their love for the fruits and the first fruits that they had was missing. You know, sometimes we can do that at church. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in doctrines and so wrapped up in I's being dotted and T's being crossed. Listen, please don't misunderstand me when I say this. We need to get the word of God right. If there's any stories that we need to get right, we need to get the gospel stories and the stories in the Bible correct, and we need them preached correctly, we need them taught correctly in Sunday school, we need to share them correctly. But sometimes we can get so wrapped up in doctrinal things that it moves over in from doctrinal things that are truths to traditional things that we do, and then it becomes this legalism that kind of changes us down and binds us to where it might be the clothing that we wear. It might be the atmosphere that we hear. It might be chairs or pews like I talked about a while ago. It might be hardwood floors versus concrete floors. And people get all wrapped up in crazy things, and we move away from what we're actually called to do. We're called to not to come here, not to present ourselves before God and receive a golden star for attendance. You're not here tonight to show yourself so that you can say, I did my godly thing this week. I went to church Sunday morning, and I went to church Wednesday night. Surely he will not ask me to come back, or Sunday night. Surely he will not ask me to come back on Wednesday night. Well, you don't know me very well. I would like for you to come back on Wednesday night. I would like for you to come back every time that you can. I would like you to go anytime you can. we got a preacher that they didn't have service tonight, so he came to our service tonight. Amen? Yeah, why? Because people like to go hear some preaching. People like to be with the people of God. And listen, 
We can get so wrapped up in all of that attendance and gold stars and all that that we miss why we're actually here. We are here to draw from the sources of God. We are here to, listen, fellowship in a way to where, what, what is fellowship? What is it talking about? Fellowship is opening up one to another. Saying, listen, I'm going through the toughest time of my life right now, brother or sister, and I've got some things going on, whether it's medically, whether it's mentally, whether whatever it is. Listen, I've got some things going on in my life, and I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. I need you to hold my arms up. And listen, that's what it's for, coming together. Then we hear from the Word of God, and we draw from the wonderful words of life. Amen? We draw from the Holy Spirit of God. That is what? That wonderful water that comes out. Remember, I told you, evidently everybody didn't take my joke seriously this morning because I told you that I was going to be talking about, I've heard some gossip going on in the church and was going to share it tonight. You know, well, I'm going to give you some of it. Somebody, I did say something this morning, so you did come back, so I'm going to share something with you. See, some of y'all are still worried if it's you or not. <laughs> I, I, we did have something said about this morning service. I told you that my dad, we were joking around saying, that he was going to be buried someday, and it, it, when he goes home to be with the Lord, we were going to put inside his casket that here lies the shell, the nut has gone to be with Jesus. You know, and he told me this afternoon, he said, that's not what mine's going to say. He said, mine's going to say on the inside, I told y'all I was sick. <laughs> <clears throat> we come to laugh sometimes, too. Sometimes people come in the doors, and they are in such a heartache. And they need a smile. They need a joy. And we go to this stiff church that thinks laughter is this horrible, evil thing. God has given us the wonder of laughter. He says that it works good like a good medicine, amen. And it would do really good for you to laugh more at the funny things that I say. It would do you good to rejoice more. It takes more for you to put a frown on than it does for you to put a smile on. And people that come to the house of God, sometimes they're in misery. Sometimes they can't even figure out how to smile. They can't figure out how to even laugh because Satan has convinced them alone in their homes that there's nothing to rejoice about. There's nothing to smile about. And when they come to the house of God and they find a bunch of old stiff-necked dead Christians that feel like laughter is an evil thing and we shouldn't do that, listen. You don't understand, we should fellowship. And they should come in and hear us as we're rejoicing. They should hear us rejoicing about God. They should hear us in laughter at times. They should hear us in praise. They should see us lift our hands even when we don't feel like lifting our hands. They should see us falling down on our knees before God. Every invitation, if it has to be that way, in order to do what? To continue to draw from the source of God so that we can maintain the fruit of God. And we can not maintain, but produce the fruit of God. Amen? The Bible teaches us, we want to talk about these three things tonight. But the Bible teaches us how the Trinity is wrapped up in our salvation. The first thing that I want you to see is that salvation was a predestinated plan by God the Father. It was a predestinated plan by God the Father. Before you label me as Tulip, before you label me as Calvinistic or Arminianist and all that stuff, I am a born-again child of God. I believe the Bible from the front to the end. I declare, just like Charles Spurgeon, where the free will of man's hand meets with God's sovereign hand, I do not know where they meet together. All I do know is, is that God had a plan. And that God did not have a plan when Adam sinned and then came up with a plan, Heath. 
God didn't go, oh no, Eve has eaten the fruit. What shall we ever do now? I need to have a plan of redemption for them. No, this plan was a predestinated plan from the foundation of the world. Amen. Look at what it says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. Let's hang out right there for a moment. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. These Ephesian people are born again. And as these Ephesian people are coming to Christ, the Bible is teaching these people what they have in the Lord. You know what I love? Listen, I don't have one, but you know what I love? I love it when somebody gets a new car. Don't you like it when somebody gets a new car? How many of you like it when you get a new car? Raise your hand. It's okay. Love a new car. Don't you love the new car smell? You like it for about 28 days, or if they say the first payment's passed, you like it for about 60 days. Then all of a sudden, when the first payment comes in, that thing smells just like every other car, right? You love the new car smell to where even the point where they've now got it in a bottle and it's on a piece of foam and you can stick it in there and make you think that it smells like a new car, right? Boy, it smells like a new car. Y'all, y'all remember when you got your new van, Ashley, how beautiful and nice it was? And then, then, then your children hold out, Do you want this old Nander peel? You know, Brother Steve, and I went... No, I'm good. I don't think I do want that old dinner pill, but where'd you get that? It was under the seat, right? That's what happens when you have little bitty kids, right? Come on, Nick. Y'all need to amen on that. And uh, it's true. The new car just, it just dies, right? You look at kids, they spill the first thing, and you want to get on to them, and you're just like, you know, and, and your wife or your husband says, it's okay, we'll go buy one of those new car smelly things, and it'll be just fine. And it's not that way. Listen, these saints are coming to Christ, and I love this. And Paul's telling them, listen, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not called by myself. I'm called by God, is what he's saying. And what he was showing was his validity. He said, listen, I stand not in my own strength or in my own authority. I stand upon the authority of God. He said, but let me tell you something. I have come to send grace and peace unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Paul, please don't, please don't think that I'm dumbing this down at all. Just trying to bring, just like Jesus did with parables, try to bring it down to a level where we could understand these things. That's why he spoke in parables, so that we could understand certain things, and it was hidden from other people, but we could understand it. You know, there's northern people that really don't understand our southern illustrations. You know what I mean? So we're bringing it down tonight. We're going to try to understand this better. Paul is walking these Christians into their brand new salvation with the Lord, and he is showing them what they have. Just like you, you go and you buy a vehicle. How many of you are older and older than six and you bought a vehicle in the last couple of years? You know what I mean? Them things changed, haven't they? They've changed. There's like all kinds of governors and regulations and all this stuff. But listen, you just, just bear with me. I'm not making fun. I may be laughing, but we're supposed to have joy. But when that person sat down with you and told you about the radio, just the radio alone and that TV screen that's in the middle of the cars now, and they begin to tell you that it's Bluetooth, it's Wi-Fi, it's Pandora, it's tune-in radio, it's, it's got Amazon, and you can just holler out Alexa, and you can say, hey, Siri, and all that stuff. How many of you that are older just begin to look at them and go, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you went, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Well, how about that? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. You know, you can hook this thing up to your cameras at home and see everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, you do that. Why do we do that? Because we don't know what we actually are purchasing. Right? They go over there to you and you go, man, I just don't know about these leather seats, sir. I I don't know if I can buy these leather seats because in the wintertime it gets a little cold. Oh, let me show you something right here. You push a button and it has warmers on there. Okay? Which I would never need. 
And you push this button on there and you go, oh, you didn't know it. And that's what I look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is walking these brand new Christians, this church, this Ephesus, church of Ephesus. And he's walking them and he's showing them, let me tell you what you got in God. You're adopted. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And he's walking them through it all. And they're just going, oh, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're getting all of it, church. Look at what he says. He says, I want to tell you about the predestinated plan of God the Father. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. What did God choose us to do? Look at the chosen part right here. He gives the definition. He says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. What this teaches us, church, is that not that God chose you and didn't choose you and chose you and didn't choose you, but what this teaches is is that God has chosen people to salvation. God has chosen. Listen, we got a God of the Bible that even in the very first sin, he's the one that came to the garden looking. Even in the very first fall, he's the one that came to the cool of the day of the garden that said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't Adam going, God, hey, I need you. It was God saying, where are you? Why? Because God has always, you've got to get a hold of this, God has always wanted to be with you. God has loved you, and there are numerous whosoevers in the Bible. There are numerous times that the word whosoever shall come unto the Lord Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall believe will be saved throughout the word of God. So we are not secluding and saying that only you that believe were chosen, but God had a predestinated plan to redeem lost people. That's what we should carry to the world. We should carry to the world that God loves you and wants to save you. And if you choose to come to him, he will save you and make you brand new. But if you choose to reject him, then you will not only die, but you will die in your sins. But if you choose him, you will die in his sacrifice. Man, I'm telling you, that's good. Listen, I don't know how you could sleep through that, but that's good. Listen, look at verse 5. He says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Having predestinated us. God has a plan. God is not taken off guard by sin. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. Jesus was slain, the scriptures teach us, before the foundation of the world. God already knew that he had a plan to redeem us. Now, if you stop for a moment and you think, we have all of these phones. I don't know where mine is. I think it's in the back. We have all these phones. We've got phones that can make calls for us. We have phones that can do all of this stuff for us. I look at my phone and tell her, hey, make an appointment, set an alarm for this, you know, set this date, call so-and-so. I do all of these things. I love my phone. And some people go, well, I just don't trust it. Well, it's a phone. I, I tell my phone sometimes, I say, hey, Siri, I love you. And she goes, I'm very fond of you also, okay? Um, but she'll never tell me that she loves me because why? You know why? Because she is made of silicone and parts and she cannot love. All right, I'm not afraid of, of, of my phone, and I use it all the time. But you know what is so amazing? Someone had to write that software program. Steve Jobs, whoever, had to write that software program. And if you notice, that software program is being updated constantly all the time. 
Don't you just love it when you need your phone the most and it tells you that you're in the middle of an upgrade, you know, an update? You need that. Why? Because the writers of those programs, the creators of those programs, know that there are going to be flaws and know there's going to be bugs because they are creators. They understand that. God knowing in his great creation and his foreknowledge is what Paul later speaks about and his understanding, he knows, church, that free will gives the opportunity for you to disobey. But in God's creation, he always had a great predestinated plan to do what? To save you. He's always been ready. Adam didn't surprise him. Jacob did not surprise him. Barabbas did not surprise Jesus in the sin that he was in. Paul didn't take Jesus by, by, you know, off guard or anything. No. He knew his sin. There's an old song. It says, he knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine. He knew me, but yet he still loved me. Romans. Paul talks to Roman Gentile people, which was probably a wicked and sinful nation, pagan God-worshipping. Paul tells them in Romans chapter 5 that God commended, God extended his love for you, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That is a God, people. That, listen, that's why Jeremiah looked at God and said, There is none besides thee. There is no other God besides you. Our song that we sing, there's no God like Jehovah. It, it should be that there's no God but Jehovah. Amen. He is the only God. It was a predestinated plan of God to save us. Why? Why did God have a predestinated plan? Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. I'm trying to contain myself, but to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Not only were we chosen, were we adopted, but we're accepted. How? How can we explain this, church? How can we explain what God did in the predestinated plan of his salvation? How can we explain it? One word right there, to the glory of his grace. That we should glorify God's grace. That we should understand we are standing on God's grace. Listen, Sister Martha told me years ago, the acrostic for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We stand only because of what Jesus did for us. Amen? Brother Nick, we stand tonight saved, going to heaven, only because of what he did for us and the predestinated plan of God. And that's why we should say glory to the grace of God. Amen? Because not us. It's him, amen? Here's the second thing. I know you're fired up and ready for it. The second thing is this. Not only was it a predestinated plan through the Father, but it is a precious purchase through the Son. It was purchased by Jesus Christ. Our salvation was planned out by the Father, but it was a precious Purchase. You see, why precious purchase? The Bible says we were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from our vain conversations, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, without spot and without blemish. Amen. Listen to what he says in verse 7. In whom we have redemption. We have redemption, church, through the Son. 
you say, Brother Steve, how do you know that this is still not talking about the Father? I'm glad you asked that. Look at the verse. In whom we have redemption through his blood. God the Father didn't have blood. The Bible says God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 presents God the Father on the throne, that we only can see certain things that he's holding. We can't see him because he's a spirit. But when we talk about God the Son... We talk about the precious blood that poured off the top of his brow running down his face, mingled with the sweat. We talk about the blood that was pouring out of his side as the blood in the water flowed, amen. We talk about the blood that came out of his hands and out of his feet. Out of those wounds that they beat him across the back and across the chest. And the Bible says we have redemption. He bought us with a precious price. Listen, if we understood that, we would try to be like this Ephesian church. We would understand that if he paid that much for us, we should in turn live that much for him. That when we even think about sin, we should see what it costed us. You know what? You go out here and buy one of these $60,000, $70,000 Tahoes. And you come to North Highland Baptist Church. I promise you, you don't park it in that circle front out there. No. When you go to Walmart, you don't park it in the front. You park it way down to the end and walk all the way up to Walmart. But you have an old beater uh, Chevrolet Chevette, you look for the front rows. You park it on the front. You park it wherever. You double park it. Why? Because you're not worried about that thing getting beat up and hit. You buy a $70,000 Tahoe. It's got the heated seats and the TV that tells you everything to do that you don't really understand. You know what you do? You take care of that thing. You wash that thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You don't wash it and go through the car washes and get a $5 wash because you know how those machines will cause scratches against that beautiful paint job that you got. Come on. Right? No, you go out there with a sponge and you wash that thing yourself. You know why? Because it's precious. Why is it precious? Because it was $70,000. Right? Absolutely. That's why you turn around and get mad at the kids when they spill the red Kool-Aid when if you would think for a moment... They should not have red Kool-Aid in my $70,000 Tahoe, right? No, because of the price that you gave for it. Listen to me. He paid a great price for you. And when you think about sin and disobedience and you're gossiping and you're backbiting and you're arguing and adultery and fornication and lying and thieving. You should think about the precious price of how much it costed him to send his only son to die for you. And hopefully through the Holy Spirit and his work in your life you'll go, you know what, that is greater to me than the pleasing of my flesh. And we need more preaching of that because more people are tending to do the things of the flesh than they are the things of the Spirit. It says we have redemption. Understand this before we move on. And I'm trying to go fast, but it's through his blood. You know what that means? It's through his life. We are redeemed through his life. He died for us. If a train was coming, he stood in front of it. If a bullet was coming, he jumped in front and pushed you out of the way. His precious life was the payment for our vile Corrupted, sinful life. The song, it would say, it says, uh, um, He paid too much for me. I don't deserve being set free. The price tag for me 
It was Calvary's tree. He paid too much for me. He says, I don't deserve such mercy and grace. Still, you died. You died in my place. Listen, he paid a great price. So listen to me, teenagers, young people, older people. Before you give way to temptation of sin, think about how much it costed for your salvation. Before you think about running your life through the old rinky-dink car wash, you think about how much it costed to redeem your precious life. And that will help you in your walk with the Lord. Listen, whom we have forgiveness or redemption through his blood, we got to get to this. We, gotta, we really got to get to the, the, the ficus tree. It says, the forgiveness of sins according to what? Here it is again, the riches of his grace. Look at verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, and, ha- and according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, the plan of God, that in the dispensation of what? Whoa, look at that word, fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also... We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The Bible says that this plan was a predestinated plan of the Father. It was a precious, precious purchase of the Son. And the last thing is this. It is a wonderful, preserved promise by the Spirit of God. It is a preserved promise by the Holy Spirit of God. So what, what do you mean by that, Brother Steve? Look, look at these verses, and we're going to close. We're not leaving, but we're going to close on that. He says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse 12. And whom you also trusted, says, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that you believed, what does it say? You were sealed Amen. with that Holy Spirit of what? Of promise. And this is the earnest of our inheritance. It's just like the earnest money. It's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, until the praise of his glory. If you go back to verse number 13, look at what it says. It says you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The word of God says that we are preserved and we are wonderfully preserved in the promise through the Holy Spirit of God. I don't depend on myself to make it to the presence of God and to before the throne of God. No, I depend on a predestinated plan by the Father that says, I love you so much that I have a plan to redeem you. How would you do that, Lord? By the precious purchase of my son's life for your life. I'm going, Abraham, your son, no. I'm not going to take him. And I'm going to give my son. God will provide a lamb, and I'm going to give my son. And John the Baptist said he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Revelation 4 and 5 says he's the lamb that is standing as though he had been slain. Amen. But he is standing again. That word, histami, which is Greek, it means that he was once laying flat, horizontal, but now he is standing up again. He is resurrected of the dead. Listen to me. He says, my salvation is what? It is predestinated, planned by the Father. It was purchased preciously. By the Son. But, this is great, I am preserved by the promise of the Holy Spirit. God said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to let you just walk alone in this. I'm not going to let you just kind of 
figure this thing out now that you've accepted my plan and you've accepted the price for your, sin, my, your sins and, and my son, he, I'm not going to leave you alone. What does he say? I, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be the earnest. In other words, that's going to be your earnest possession. In other words, you're going to hold on to that. God's just basically telling you that he's going to allow you to hold on to the Spirit. Actually, the Spirit's going to hold on to you. But you're going to hold on to the Spirit, and you're going to have the Spirit. And whenever you think about sin, what's great is that you don't have to figure it out on your own and go, should I do it or shouldn't, should I not do it? No, Randy, you got the Holy Spirit that goes, hey, that's right. hey. You know what? It's not your mom and your dad's voice. No, 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 it's the Holy Spirit if you're saved. And, and you think about, you know what I mean, when somebody cuts you off, and you, you know what I'm talking about? And the Holy Spirit goes, hey, ease up. Ease up, you don't do that. Don't speak that way. You don't talk that way. You don't live that way. You don't want to go and do those things. The Holy Spirit. The problem is, there's too many people that say that they're saved are ignoring the Holy Spirit. And the reason they're ignoring the Holy Spirit is because they don't know the Holy Spirit very well because they're not reading their Bible and talking to the Lord in prayer. You want to know the Holy Spirit more, you got to draw from the Holy Spirit. Amen? you got to be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Listen, I know you think that's a Pentecostal thing. I'm filled with the Spirit every day. Amen? Amen. And then you go out and use it on. Go get filled up again and use it on. Fill it again. Amen? And use it all. There's great feelings of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's not a Pentecostal doctrine. That's a biblical doctrine. And the Baptist people need to realize they need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? That scared you a little bit when I said change it to the Holy Ghost, didn't it? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God. You know what happens is that we begin to walk in the Holy Spirit. The word for Holy Spirit, comforter, is the Greek word parakletos. And it means just like a paraclete, that they are side by side. You can't have one without the other. And it means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he's walking parallel with you in everything, in every decision. He wants to help you. But what God does, he says it's a purchased, or excuse me, it's a promised possession that you have. Until when? Until the day of redemption. Until, listen, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Look at verse number 14 real quick. Until when? Amen. It says it's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He says you're going to hold on to this Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you. And it's going to be that earnest payment on your life while you're walking here in this world. But it's not going to be always because eventually you're going to be what? A redeemed, purchased possession. Amen. You know, sometimes I think that we're all, that heaven is in Maine. You say, what are you talking about? That's where all of the bottles, the glass bottles, remember the Coke bottles? You could, it was like you could only redeem them and get your purchased money back and redemption money in Maine. And it was like, why don't we live in Maine? I would have more money, right? Listen, listen when we all get to heaven, that song... What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven and we see Jesus, all of this stuff. Then what happens is, is that we see the one who devised the plan. We see the one who purchased the plan. And listen, we exchange this mortal body for an immortal body, a corrupt body for an incorruptible body. And therefore, it will be sinless before God Almighty. And it will be the redemption of the purchased possession. Why? Oh, so that we can have a good time in heaven. No. Why? So that we can tell everybody that, look at what we did. No. Why? Unto the praise of his glory. As Rhonda sang this morning, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Church, someday it's going to happen. Romans chapter 11, in the last few Wednesdays, we've been talking about it. 
And in Romans chapter number 11, I'm going to move this over here. In Romans chapter number 11, we've been talking about being in the hands of the gardener. Romans chapter 9 says that they were in the hands of the potter. Talking about Israel in the Old Testament. Romans chapter number 10 says we're in the hands of the Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in Romans chapter number 11, we're in the hands of the gardener. You know what God says? God says, I'll tell you what. He said he can take an olive tree that does not produce those olives. And he said, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go over there and cut all of the branches off of it. He said, because they're not producing it. Right? I have to get my snips over here to give you the illustration. Israel was not doing what God had told them to do. And God said, okay. Then I'll take all the branches off. You know that God didn't say that he was going to come in there and that he was just going to cut down everything, but he talked about cutting the branches off of it because why? They weren't producing anything. And he used that word in Romans chapter number 11, castaway. You remember I told you that it was the Greek word that was equivalent for to thrust out of your face, to push yourself away from. You remember I told you that it was the Thanksgiving Greek word that we all need this year. Thrust thyself away from the table, right? You know, move thyself away from the banana pudding or the dressing and the turkey. But the Bible literally says this is what God did with Israel. You need to pay attention. God did this with Israel. He said, you will not bear fruit, then I will cut off of your branches. And boy, it looks like me. I'm just up here sweating and having a hard time doing all of this stuff. And it doesn't look... Like, it's a big deal. But God tells them in Jeremiah, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I've always wanted you to be in my vineyard. He said, I've always loved you, Israel. And I've always come unto you, a disobedient and gainsaying people have I stretched my hands out always. You know what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said that someday, he said, all the people will walk by Israel, Brother Bill, and that they will wag their heads. You know what they'll do is they'll mock. They'll look at them and go, that used to be one of the finest fig trees ever. Or ficus in our illustration. It used to be one of the finest trees ever. Now look at it. Some of you may think, well, see, why didn't God just dig it all up? Because the root's not the problem. The roots are still good. Because he's the root. The root's not the problem. The problem was in the branches. God said that he would cause those nations, Brother Andrew, to walk by them and laugh and go, <laughs> Babylon looked at him and said, you're supposed to be the people of God? And we overtook you in a matter of moments? Ha! <laughs> you're nothing. Mocking them. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians did the same thing. The Greeks did the same thing. Alexander the Great coming in and taking over. All of the people, the Romans, they did the same thing. King of the Jews, you're going to be a king over this? Unfruitful? Did you know that it was the week before when Jesus walked in and cursed the fig tree and he was dying for those people? Paul tells us about the grafting process. Paul says in the grafting process, what they would do is that they would take off all the other branches and look, they would cast them away. They would get them away. Some of them, church, listen, would be burned in the fire because of their unbelief. 
But some of them would be cut away and would be put aside. And it's what God did with Israel. Because remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. He said, has their fall, are they diminished, are they gone away? He said, no. He said, God's able to graft them back in. So what that shows us, church, is that God did not burn all of those, but he took some of them as a nation and he put them aside. And he took the one, the fruitful part of Israel and he wrapped them up and he kept them. Right? And some of the people, when you talk about the grafting, there, there's different ways that you can do it, and I'm sure there's many experts in here that probably know about it more than I do. There are times that on an olive tree, that if they weren't taking all of the olive branches off, then what they would do is they would come down the side, and it's not, it's not going to be able to do it in this thing. This thing is like stone, okay? But they would graft down the side, and they would cut into the skin and just cut like a small slit like that bark, and if you could see it on the side, they would pull that bark out, and they would bring their other shoot in, or the scion, the little piece, and then they would tape it together and do the things that they did. But looking at Israel, it didn't seem to be done that way because the Bible says in Matthew, or excuse me, in Daniel chapter number nine, talks about when Jesus, Messiah, the Prince, would come, says that he would be cut off. And I believe in looking at that, that Jesus' life, that Israel was so corrupt that God got all the way down where the root was still pretty good. And God allowed his son to be cut off. And he was crucified. But the Bible says in Daniel chapter 9, this is the great part, it says, but it wasn't for himself. It was for us. And what God did is he took you and I, is what Paul says, he took you and I and he grafted us on to the root system of God. Because the roots are good, because the root is God. And he grafted us on. And what they would do is, you could come and you could cut down the side here. And you could come and cut down on the sides here. Or, they would come and do this. And I kind of soaked this before church. They would do this and they would pull back the bark. When the bark begins to what they call slip. But listen. They would go out there and they would take... Those buds that they've had and they've put them up. Remember I told you Wednesday they would get these prepared, wrap them in a wet paper towel and put them inside the crisper box of a refrigerator or something nowadays. But even as Christ was cut, even these, like you and I, also things had to be cut away from us. And that God had to do some pruning back on us. And they would take one side of this and they'll cut it back. On that side, and then they turn it all the way around 180 degrees, and they cut back on that side. And they get it down thin enough to where there's the layer of the bark, not inside the tree, but the life is in that under layer of the bark. And as they would do that, they had this layer and that layer ready, and they would insert the grafting in there. And I want you to know that while I'm doing this, This is all not because the tree has the power to do this on its own. And this scion doesn't have the power to do it on its own. You know who has the power to do it? The gardener. God. What was done in the plan was done by God. What was done in your salvation was not because you got baptized or because you joined a church. It's because God saved you by his grace. See, you were in a pit of mire and clay. You say, well, Brother Steve, I reached my hand up. That was just a response for his hand reaching down. 
And your hand could not stretch out far enough out of the pit to reach him, but his hand is not shortened and his ear is not deafened. But they would plant those scions in there. They bring me in there. That's me. I'm saved first for y'all because I'm preaching the message. So <laughs> Then they would come in next. Who wants to be saved? Amen. I've been praying for y'all to be saved for a long time. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is all of y'all. And they'd put that other one back here in the bark. And then they would take that tape and they would come around that, that tree and they would tape it up in order for it to be closed up and the power would kind of wrap it up in there. It's almost as an illustration church of being in the Father, being in Jesus' hand, Him being in the Father's hand. The Bible says that it was the plan of God. Paul says that, listen, God grafted us on that were wild. Those branches, well, I got, these are metal and they're fake, okay? But these were the natural branches that were on this tree. These came out of the tree over there. They, you, you couldn't graft them together. And listen, they're probably not going to grow. But I'm going to leave it out for a while and just see if God does a miracle. <laughs> but it was a plan of God to do that. It was his plan, Brother John, to have his son cut off for our salvation. It was his plan, Brother Andrew, to pull back that, listen, the purchase, listen, to purchase us with his own blood so that what? We could get into the life source. So that we could draw off the root system of God. But my favorite, absolute favorite part, the Bible tells us that we are sealed. And those people will take wax and they'll take caulk like this and they put it all in there and you're like, what in the world are they doing? And Josh, you're not following me. If you'd go to that part where it says sealed in the hands of the gardener, part of it about the Holy Spirit, I want to show you this scripture. The Bible says that you were sealed. And they take this sealant, go all the way around. Listen, they take caulk or wax, wax from like the um, toilet bowl rings before they're used. And they, they seal it all up. And you sit there and you go, well, what do you mean? Go to the last point right there, Brother Britt, the very last point about being in the Spirit. Why, why would they seal that like that if, if everything's there? Look at the scripture that we talked about that says in um, Ephesians. Go to the scripture after that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom you also trusted after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom after we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, here's the cool thing, is that the sealant that takes place and it does all that, it's so that outside moisture and outside uh, uh, bodies or, or containment does not get into the graft. And it's so that, listen, you would think, well, well water and moisture would be pretty good, Brother Steve, we, if we had some water and moisture stuff. No, 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 no. Outside water and moisture is not too good. No, we got to get it out of here. And when it comes up out of here and comes into that tree, then that's what gives this life. See, the problem is, is you're trying to live your Christian walk by all of these elements out here. And the sealing part, you're allowing things to come in. You're allowing things to come in. And you say, God, God, I need to be fully sealed. I need to be sealed. Lord, I need, I need to get those other things away from me. I need to keep that away. This is what God did. But listen. 
We've been studying that God says, if I can do a miracle like that, if I can do something awesome like that, he's, don't forget, I can take the natural branches that were once on there and that are already a part of that tree, I can bring them right back at any single time I want, and I can put them right back on there. God can do that. Listen, what a great salvation we have. We have a great salvation. And God uses small, simple illustrations to help dumb people and dumb guys. Just old regular country guys like me. When you're sitting there and you're studying it, you understand the grafting process and you understand the sealing process. All of a sudden you begin to just glorify God in your office and you're going, Lord, that's it. Lord, I'm not drawing from the rain. No, I'm allowing you to take the things and you to bring the nourishment and the nutrients that I need. You know what the Bible says? It says about the seed that was sown among the stony ground. It says it jumps up, springs up. Why? Because it's warm, had a little moisture. But then it says because it lacks moisture. You know what it means? It lacks a constant flow of moisture. It just withers and it dies. You ever see someone that jumps up and they want to go forward for the Lord and then they just kind of take 40 steps back all the time? Someone that says, oh, how committed I am, and they sing it, how great I am, and all this. And all of a sudden they go, you know why? It's because one of two things. They're either fully lost, or they're not walking in the Spirit. We're sealed until the precious purchase is redeemed. Amen. That's a good salvation. I don't know how much more to explain it. I want to run around and jump up and down, but man, I was grafted on. I'm standing my grace. I'm standing my faith. And why he would do that for somebody like me or like you, I have no idea. But he did. He loves you. He loves you. And in the hands of the gardener, you've got something that's precious. You've got something that's valuable. I want you to take those notes home with you. If you didn't get the notes, get them on the back and go home and rewrite all this stuff. But listen, you want to explain salvation to people? Say, God the Father had a plan for it. God the Son purchased it. God, the Holy Spirit, preserves it until the day of my redemption. Amen.